How do you keep your team motivated when the work never ends? Welcome to Leading Generous Teams, a podcast dedicated to making leadership easier. We bring you insights from leaders who are having an impact, even when resources are stretched, resilience is constantly tested, and the social issues and opportunities are never ending. I'm your host, Claire Dezira from the Top 5 Movement. We're a team of award-winning coaches with a vision to support generous leaders to have a bigger impact. Our expertise lies in the practical application of neuroscience for sustainable behaviour change in the workplace. And we're so glad you're here. Welcome to another episode of Leading Generous Teams. Today, our guest is the wonderful Cherie Lowe from Vacho. Cherie is a Japarong and Gundijamara woman with a strong connection to southwest Victoria. Cherie has lived most of her life on Wadarong country in Ballarat. Cherie has been advocating within the Aboriginal community in Victoria for over 25 years. Cherie has spent a personal and professional life living, supporting and advocating for Aboriginal people to be seen and heard across a range of different injustices, including justice, education, health and well-being. She previously worked as a management consultant on projects related to organisational transformation through an Aboriginal lens and cultural safety program design. We meet Cherie in her role at Vacho, Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation. Vacho is the peak representative for health and wellbeing of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Victoria and in her role Cherie is leading the establishment of the Centre of Excellence in Aboriginal Social and Emotional Wellbeing. It's great to have you here Cherie and great to learn about our shared connection to Southwest Victoria too. Thanks for having me. Cherie, I know it's a big question to start with but tell us most what you love about leading your team at the moment and also what you find most challenging. Ah, so it is a big question. I love a lot of things about leading my team. Um, Just a little bit about our team. So I work, as you mentioned, at Vacho. Um, I'm an executive director here and I lead our Ballot Dern Dern Centre. And um, the centre is focused on social and emotional wellbeing and in particular Um, the response to the Royal Commission um, into Victoria's mental health system. Um, So the work that we do is big. And um, I've been at Bacho in a community-controlled health organisation and sector um, for just over 12 months Um, prior to that. I worked um, at PwC, Indigenous Consulting. Um, So it's it's been an interesting change from going from... um, the, the corporate world into back into community controlled. I, I worked in community control before that. Um, but for me and, and my team and leading my team is that when you're working in such a space that is quite challenging, um, we're working and supporting workforce and the sector who are, who are working with some of our most vulnerable people in community. So the work is always challenging. It's um, strenuous. It's emotionally exhausting. Um, so I'm always um, really mindful of that in, in leading our team, that the challenging conversations that we have. But what I love about, about the team is that they're so diverse, such a, a wide range of experiences and viewpoints and um, ways of knowing, being and doing um, 
it, it, what it means is that not any day is the same day. So I love that diversity. I love the knowledge that is contained in my team, but I also just really um, admire the passion and, and energy that, that comes to the work, even when you are kind of working in a really challenging space. Um, and so for me, I think that they're the things that I love. I love that we um, can tackle seriousness, but we also have a bit of fun um, and we can see the lighter side of life as well. Um, I think sometimes, though, when you're working in such a challenging space um, and really looking at um, system reform, one of the big challenges of leading my team is, um, you know, keeping keeping on keeping focused on the bigger picture but also um, often in the conversations that we have that the change isn't immediate like we're often working in a space of really long-term change system change um, behavioral change those types of things which don't necessarily you can't always see immediate response um, or immediate reward or impact of the work that you're doing. Um, so sometimes that's really challenging to kind of keep, you know, that motivation and and seeing the impact that you're making. And I think it's really important in all the work that we do, that we do work that fills our cup and that, you know, that we can see that we're contributing, particularly in a community-controlled space, being able to contribute and to support community and those types of things are really core to our to our values and, and what we do as a as an organization but within our um, little team as well. Oh thanks for explaining that Cherie. Um, it's so interesting to hear about what you love but also of course about the challenges and we work in behavior change too at top five, certainly not to the to scale and level that you are actually looking at at reform. But Something I know for sure is that behaviour change also isn't linear. You know, it can be a few steps backwards, a few steps back, uh, sorry, a few steps forward, a few steps back um, and can go all over the place as well and can really, it can be really hard to see in any single day what might actually be changing. But when you can step back, you, of course, hopefully um, can connect to that bigger picture and, and, and the shifts there. I'd love to ask you, Cherie, now just we've been chatting about your team, but I want to talk about you a little more. And, and you've been, you know, for 25 years, you've been advocating within the Aboriginal community in Victoria, and that must take lots of energy and resilience. So what are some of your personal um, go-tos for building your own mindset and energy? I think um, I'm quite reflective as a person. And I think that that's really important in the spaces of conversations that I have. Like it's literally living in two worlds and and stepping in those worlds on a daily basis. And so being able to understand from both sides of, of those perspectives um, can be quite um, challenging and exhausting, but it's really the space where you need to be in to be able to create the change that needs to happen. And so there's lots of learnings over the, the last many years of having conversations and working in different roles and those types of things. But some of the things that I've put in place of having the energy to keep going is an easy answer for me. So the thing that kind of keeps me going and keeps me ticking is the legacy of, of advocacy of our people and so I kind of very much see myself as just a continuation of, of that 
carrying those messages and and a role that's been given to me within community. And I'm fortunate to have opportunities to advocate and and be at different spaces to provide voice from an Aboriginal perspective. So I'm really um, grateful for those opportunities that have kind of created for me. But I think that knowing the struggle um, of my own personal family, but also the, the broader community in being seen as Aboriginal people gives me the energy every day and the motivation every day to keep going, even in the trickiest and toughest of situations that we face in the kind of contemporary setting. I think about my dad. My dad wasn't born a citizen in this country. He was born in 1954, an Aboriginal man down in southwest of Victoria, and knowing that the struggles that him and my nan and family and all of those types of things had had faced to be recognised as a people and just think how hard that would have been back then gives me the motivation and it kind of really centres the importance of the conversations that we need to have. So that's where I draw my strength and energy from on a on a regular basis, but also knowing that there's still a lot more to be done and I have this very strong view of everybody has a role um, to play in making our society the way that it is and how we want it to be. And as citizens, regardless of the walk of life that you come from or your cultural background or diversity or, or whatnot, that we all have a role to play and to contribute. And um, it's a really important message to hold true on that. I think the flip side to that, which is also in the space of advocating and what I've learnt, is that I don't have all the answers as well and it's important to open up and to to let in people to be able to, to help and to contribute. And although we're all kind of quite different, understanding how everybody can work together to solve problems is a was a really big learning for, for me and building that trust particularly in the in the broader workspace in, in mainstream Australia and those types of things has been big learnings for me and has helped in my advocacy of understanding other points to like the other side to the conversation and then trying to figure out how we can work together to create that change that's required and sharing the load I guess in that way of of everybody's role and, and place within um within driving things forward has been, you know, they're, they're big things to have have learnt and have probably practised that a little bit more in my earlier years but have in the last few years have been really reflective of that and where are we going and where are we heading and how can I can contribute to that and use my skills and knowledge in, in that space to be able to move things forward. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Cherie. And I love your framing and that powerful perspective that all of your individual roles are an opportunity to continue this work and carry these messages. And I guess, you know, within each role, if you want to get really granular and in, in, in each role of people in your teams, each task that you work on is a continuation and carrying of these messages and this advocacy and work. And I'm sure that framing holds your team's perspective really steady too and helps that bigger picture front and centre. Now, you started off by mentioning that you're really a reflective person by nature. I'd love to dive into that a little bit more and just wondered, what does reflection look like for you practically? 
you know, where are you when you do it and what does it look like and do you plan it or does it organically slip into your day? Tell us more. I think um, it, it happens in various spaces, but for me I commute two hours a day to the office um, so a lot of reflections happens in those times oh, yeah. on the way on the way in and on the way out of even when you're kind of stuck in traffic and stuff. But you get to have time with yourself and and with the thinking and the thoughts. We live in such a fast paced world today, and um, particularly when you're working in um, you know not for profit NGO kind of spaces where resources are really thin. And you're juggling multiple tasks, you you know, you're always kind of stretched. The resource is always really stretched. And so your day is very full of multiple conversations. And for me, in any given day, I could be talking about mental health, AOD, workforce capacity, economic development, workforce sector support. Like it's such a diverse range of conversations and having to have that mind shift um, between all of the different stakeholders, different conversations and those types of things, you're constantly making decisions with the information at hand, but you very rarely get, and particularly in this virtual world or if people are working in a, in a bit of a hybrid model where you're kind of meeting back to back, back to back, you don't have that little kind of separation space that you used to have when you were having meetings in real life of even just going from one meeting room to another meeting room and those types of things to have a little bit of a breath that those quiet times for me on the commute um, or individual times for me on the commute are like gold and I think during meetings and interactions the reflectiveness comes in in a little bit more on being considered and that is being able to really listen and sit around the table and ensure that you give people the time and respect to to hear people out because the world that I work in we are always having a lot of challenging conversations it is very much um, Aboriginal perspectives and how they fit into the Western model of care or those types of things so they're sensitive conversations because we start to talk about things like racism we start to talk things about intergenerational trauma around the the political challenges that face Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. So they're all very hard and very emotionally exhausting conversations. So having those reflective times are really important, but having that consideration and, you know, ability to kind of deep listen in those conversations to hear other perspectives is such an important part of the work that that I do because it is very much this translation of the two worlds coming together. It's not that any one side of that story is is wrong. It's just that how how it all fits together is is the missing piece, I guess. Yeah, of course. And so tell me, like, you talked about the mind shift, and of course, those like those big periods of time when you're commuting a gold, like you said, those quiet times and. If like a young leader was asking you today around, well, what do you do when you do have to shift from talking about, you know, economic development to workforce planning, when you are switching throughout the day so quickly, are there any kind of tips or tools that you could share to kind of look after your mind? Are you thinking as you do that? Preparation is the key. 
to to that and being prepared for the conversations at hand at any given day. So doing your homework around that and and leading in and being more proactive in that space and rather than reacting. My diary definitely does dictate my time. I don't have control over my diary. Um, Others control that for me. So I am very much um, guided by the work that kind of gets locked in, which is a discipline in itself and being able to, to manage that and what that looks like. I also think for young leaders, and very much for me as well, um, I'm not old, I'm not young, I'm just kind of floating in the in, in between, I have always had the luxury of, of working in very flexible work models. And I think that that's really important of being able to, how you balance all of your passions in life. And I think that when you're happy holistically, like in and outside of work, um, is when you are doing your best for, for everyone. So when you've got a good balance between work life and, and personal life commitments and those types of things and doing things that you love in both spaces is what can then allow you to be a really good leader, I think, and being able to kind of share that and instill that within your within your work teams and those types of things. I think um, nobody likes to be micromanaged. I think that that's a real lesson for for everybody. But some people do need guidance and a little bit more hand on, hands-on kind of support. But it's very much focusing on those outcomes for us and how do we get the best out of everybody to be able to help contribute and, and reach those outcomes. So I think... There's some practical kind of, you know, disciplinary stuff of being prepared and it's okay sometimes not to know the answers and that's something that I've had to learn of you don't need to know everything but it's important to be able to ask the right questions and then to be able to figure it out and that honesty around um, and vulnerability in a way of not knowing the answers to everything but working really closely to, to the team to be able to, to figure that out. Um, so I think that they're really um, important pieces of advice to other young people because that balance of wellness in yourself is really important because when you don't have that, somebody is suffering from that, whether it's yourself personally, whether it's your work performance or whether it's your family and friends. I don't think personally I had my children fairly young, like I was 22 and 25, so I've always kind of been juggling in my work career, study, family, my volunteering and my work career. And in that there isn't a a golden recipe of balance, but a key to it is of you being able to take control of that and having the ability to say no having an ability to be able to prioritise and having an ability to be able to share, share the workload. And I think that those are the three things that um, I have really kind of leaned into a lot as I've kind of got a little bit older as well and leaned really into that. And the ability to say no is, is one of the hardest ones, but that vulnerability of not knowing everything. Like I often say to my team, I don't know everything, but I can facilitate and help make things happen. And I can take it to where it needs to 
be taken and I can make the decisions and, and I have that authority. But, you know, there are a shared range of knowledge and wealth within my team that some of the things that I just don't know. And that's done well for me so far. So I kind of stick to that. It really sounds like it has. <laughs> Cherie, I love the insights you're sharing here, and particularly that lesson around reminding yourself and others that it's okay if I don't have all the answers, but I have the skills and experience to be able to facilitate and make things happen. At top five, we'd call that a HEP thought or a helpful, encouraging and productive thought. And we know that those thoughts that we practice are the ones that we reach for, especially on a shaky time. And so if you're well practiced in that thinking, the next time you find yourself in the depths of something complex or uncertain, having practiced that thought can be more likely to be your go-to thinking pattern. And as a result, rather than perhaps panic or fear or overwhelm, you can bring more confidence and stronger, more generous leadership to that situation. There's so much focus in work development and when we're developing teams on the things that we do, you know, those technical skills and not enough, in my opinion, on investing in supporting people to learn how to think in a more helpful, encouraging and productive or HEP way, how to fuel those mindsets, not so that they're rah-rah, over-the-top, blind optimism, positive thinking all the way, but just so, like in that example, we can slow our thinking down long enough and make a decision as leaders on how to bring the most helpful, encouraging and productive thinking rather than perhaps fear, panic and overwhelm to really complex situations. So I'd love to know, Cherie, with your decades of experience in this space, what other helpful, encouraging and productive thoughts have you learnt to practice or think it's really important for other leaders to consider right now? Oh, that's a good question. I just think um, one of the other things that I share is that we spend so much time at work now um, or doing work and depending on what kind of flexible work arrangements you have, that such a big part of our time is dedicated to um, our working roles in however we do that. So you've got to enjoy it and you've got to have fun and you can't be serious all the time even in the world that we are working in, like we're dealing with really serious stuff all the time, but that ability to to have a laugh and to have fun within teams and create those spaces, like I can't emphasise enough on how important that is to have that, that shift, in, shift in energy. And I think also just really taking the time to know people, to to get to understand how they work is a really valuable investment. Like you can't go wrong with that. Like I think the time that you put in and invest in to people is the best investment because that's what your return will be. It will come like, you know, and that's where you get that real solid teams of who trust, who you know, go above and beyond because there are times when you're going to have to ask your team to stay back a little bit later or, you know, go above and beyond what may be in their PD descriptions. And when you've kind of invested in and really genuinely showed that care and humility towards people, then it becomes reciprocated. And I think that reciprocity of, of relationships is just 
you know, that's in my experience when teams are working really well and and those types of things, it is very centred around the collective and, you know, everybody kind of contributing, but it is very much that what you put in is what you what you get out. It's great advice. Thank you. Hey, tell me, over the last couple of years, you've no doubt learned a lot like the rest of us. And for you, when we look back over a couple of years, you've been in more than one role um, during this weird and wonderful time in life. What are a couple of lessons that you'll take forward with you? One of the things that I've observed, and it's probably the, the one lesson, and it, it flows on from what I was just saying earlier about people and the importance of how we um, interact with people, look after our people is so critical. And I think that it's really important because I feel like the, the COVID world has really forced us to be kind of quite transactional in, in how we go about things. And for us in our work in social and emotional well-being, um, you know, which is predominantly focusing on and looking around um, mental health, um, alcohol and drugs and, and those types of things, that those relationships have kind of become quite transactional and have lost that um, human-centred approach to that. And so I think if in the work that we we are doing and the teams that we are building and kind of coming now out of a pandemic, not completely, but in kind of moving back into a bit of a hybrid model of work is um, being able to create, recreate and move away from that transactional type of space. I think also the in-person stuff is just, you just can't underestimate the importance of that. And whilst we're working and living in a, in a very online kind of virtual world, lots of emails, um, those types of things is to have that breath of don't respond straight away, take the time to um, interrogate situations a little bit more because we're missing the human element in those interactions, which then can create a whole world of communication challenges and, you know, misinterpretations of, of messaging and all of those types of things that, I, that I've seen and experienced over the last little period of time. So it is very much... A lesson from that is to, you know, take the time, have a breath, don't respond straight away and just really acknowledging and recognising that things can be challenging. And I think also everybody coped with COVID, particularly in Victoria where we had significant lockdowns, everybody coped and was impacted very differently depending on whether you're living by yourself or living with a family, um, whether you're living in an apartment. For me, I was lucky. I was living on some um, land, like so I had space. Um, those types of things um, have really um, challenged people. We've been challenged with a, a different way of work and adapting to that different way of work. And I just think that being kind and emp empathetic as we move through this kind of transitional phase are some really important values that we need to to take forward because sometimes we can um, we can forget about those aspects and in the busy world that I spoke to before because we all feel and experience it sometimes we can get caught up in the 
the deliverables, the timeframes, the, you know, the fiscal environment and all of those types of spaces and forget about the humans and it's important not to forget about the humans. Mm, I agree. I Yeah, 100% agree. Thank you so much for those lessons. I'm sure lots of people can relate. Cherie, I'd love to ask you, we love working with generous leaders and their teams. And for us, that's that we define that as people that are obviously doing work with purpose. And I was just wondering when you think about generous leaders, we obviously think you're one, which is why we're having this conversation. But when you think about generous leaders in your world and that you've learned from, who springs to mind? I'd love you to drop some names. Oh, generous leaders that I intentionally surround myself um, with with generous leaders and and people who, you know, are really driving for for a purpose. It's one of the reasons why I came over to Vacho. Our CEO Jill Gallagher, I, I think, is. Um, an incredibly generous leader and um, after she came back from being treaty commissioner I was inspired to be able to to learn from from her from a, a strong staunch Aboriginal woman um, and a person who's been in a CEO role for a long time and being able to learn from somebody who's had to lead through many different kind of political changes. So for me, um, she was great. I also had a very generous leader um, by the name of um, Kate George, um, who I worked with at PwC Indigenous Consulting. She was amazing, older Aboriginal woman who was very generous in her cultural leadership and knowledge. And again, similar, being able to live through various challenging um, environments for Aboriginal people and and through the the flight of advocacy, being able to share a whole range of different experiences. Um, I can't even articulate the amount that I had learnt from, from her generosity and investing in people and in particular young people to take on on the carriage to, to do things, even just locally. I look at um, my uncle Rob Lowe, who's very generous in his cultural leadership in sharing cultural stories um, with the with the wider community, and really, you know, spent his his life. He's in his seventies now, but spent his life, you know, advocating for our people, but also being generous in sharing stories and um, our culture and helping bridge that gap and and create reconciliation between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people. I think watching people grow into leaders from adversity is really is really amazing and it's something that I lean into and really look and seek out in, in my generous leaders and when I think about leaders who I look up to and who I inspire to, to um, work and get my guidance from. So there are a couple in my mind. I also think there's an endless list and I wonder whether what, what I'm struggling with is to define through people who I admire a lot through their, their advocacy roles and the different types of leadership that people have um, and play within our communities and the different things that um, they do. I think um, as a collective 
I'm very inspired by our treaty assembly and the role that that collective group of people have in, you know, creating a movement for Victorian Aboriginal people to negotiate a treaty. Like at that, that the time and effort and, you know, commitment to do those types of things and, and change such a big system is, you know, it, it's amazing, it's inspiring and I think the people in that space could be nothing but generous leaders because it is a really, you know, time-consuming, it's, you know, generational changing um, type conversations and it's it's great to be a part of that and living in Victoria where we're having such... Um, progressive conversations about being able to recorrect the wrongs from in the past and and create a a future where everybody sees a place of where they fit yeah incredible thank you for sharing that I just yeah I've I've got goosebumps and yeah we, we might wrap it up there Cherie but I really just wanted to say that I've got no doubt at all that you would be on many many people's list of generous leaders as well. And I'm super grateful for your time and your insights and your experience today. So thank you for spending some time with us. You're an absolute force. Oh, thank you for having me and thanks for seeing me. I really appreciate it. Thanks. As we wrap, if you're ready for a refreshing take on mindset, resilience and leadership training, then sign on up to our newsletter over at top 5 Movement com forward slash tools. When you join us, you'll get access to our free resources, episode summaries, and exclusive events where we bring generous leaders together. We'll share the links in the show notes. Hey, I'd also like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation from the country where this podcast is produced and pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Thanks again for listening to the Leading Generous Teams podcast. We've loved having you here. Have a cracking day.